Hey, Mac, when does deer season start? Well, if you want the best deer herd possible, Lanny, you need to start right now. Right now. That's, That's why right. we're starting our promotion. I mean, we've got a deer season starts now promotion on plantbiologic.com where you can pick up our Game Changer soybeans, our forage soybeans, and our spring protein peas. While you're there, you might as well go ahead and pick up some brassicas like our final forage and winter bowls. Yeah, stock up for the cool season planting right now. Listeners to the GK Podcast, if you use coupon code GKPOD, you can save an additional 10% off our entire selection of warm season, cool season, and clover food plot seed. Get started today and visit plantbiologic.com for an unforgettable fall. Hi, I'm Jeff Foxworthy, and welcome to Gamekeeper Podcast. If you want to learn more about farming for wildlife and habitat management, then buddy, you are in the right place. Join the Gamekeeper crew direct from Mossy Oak Land Enhancement Studio as they discuss the latest wildlife and habitat management practices, news, and of course, hunting. There's no telling what you'll learn, but I'm going to tell you, I bet it's interesting. Enjoy. All right, we're live in three. Here we go, everybody. Once again, West Point, Mississippi, home of Mossy Oak. Look, we got a smile out of Toxie on that one. Dudley, you look like you are so happy today. What's going well, on with I, you? I got to sneak out and go hang out at the nursery. Actually, twice. I went on my way, and then I took our guest, our new guest, Jim, to the nursery. Yeah. He was he had a good time. Guest okay. Jim, they can call him Guest Jim. <laughs> well, we got producer Richie over That's here. Right. That's right. Yeah. So, well, Jim Ronquist, we are so happy to have you here. Welcome to you, West Point. Uh, Man, <laughs> what can I say? I'm, I'm honored to finally make it to the Gamekeeper Podcast. Oh, ooh, well, we appreciate well, that. You've been he's like you said, Bobby. He's a long-time listener, first-time caller. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Look, we have uh, – we- Jim Ronquist and with a duck call in his mouth, is he's he's a legend. That's right. Uh, y'all in bad need of a legend. He's a waterfowl <laughs> legend. Lanny, I thought we'd ask him to call on his duck call and turn Merlin on. Let's and turn see Merlin, if Merlin on. See how good recognize he is. Well, that, well, wait a minute. Now, where's Merlin fit into this deal? At? Merlin <laughs> is an app that recognizes whether it's a. And it identifies, it identifies a, a pink sound. warbler or a, a crow. So or during a, turkey season, we had a lot of good fun with it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah it tell, you and, know, and Bobby somehow rigged the algorithm in his favor. We still hadn't figured it out. <laughs> I think Bobby just sounded the best, like a, I, most I, like a turkey. I would say Bobby spent a lot of time with Merlin yelping at it before he came in here and chatting. I don't know about that. So <laughs> it's a shame Toxie wasn't here that day. I'm glad I wasn't. <laughs> yeah. He'd have took the gold. Too complicated for me. So, guys, uh, before we get started, uh, Lanny, what's going on in your world? It's, it's, it's you, gamekeeping time, you know what I mean? So, uh, everybody's out getting prepared. We're uh, trying to gather up equipment, kind of praying for rain. Uh, got a little bit of spring crops in the ground, but then mm-hmm. looking forward to fall. we got, you know, waterfowl season. Duck so, time. Duck time. Yeah, duck, it duck, is. Duck. And that, the, the Guide's Choice product, we got a new little formulation tweet. Yeah. Guys, y'all need to check that out. Yeah. And Jim's had experience with the. I'm in. I just disc a spot up Monday. So, yep. okay. Well, you, did you bring your credit card? <laughs> we can talk. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we love a guest that's a customer. Yeah. You know what? So, guys, you know, we we really, it, I don't know this the proper way to refer to these 
the, the, the what we plant for ducks as food plots for ducks. But but it's so easy to plant something, and and most properties, I, yeah. I say most properties, you've got some area, maybe an old beaver pond or something. Mm-hmm. That if a guy will just think about it and put in a little effort, he can well, grow yeah. something for a little ducks. elbow grease getting that water off of there. Sometimes, yeah, if you get it dried up, a little soil disturbance, you can mm-hmm. get a lot done pretty quick. Really yes, yes. You, you don't have to be in the middle of a prestigious flyway either. No, uh, we've That's proven right. that around here. No doubt Absolutely. about it. Absolutely. But you still, one one rule dominates also. Moist soil plants have to have moisture. So you mm-hmm. can't just plant them in super dry soil and maybe get one rain and that's going to suffice. you got to kind of plan for that, too. So, yeah, it's just if you, if you can keep water on something and then, you know, sometime after 4th of July, let the water off, it's not hard. It really right. isn't. And we love yeah. to plant in that, just that soupy-looking stuff. Yep. But, I mean, it, it works just as good, if not better, like, a, you know, say you're in the Delta in an ag field. Absolutely. You know, you, you know yeah. like Jim was saying, he dissed his spot up, you know. Mm-hmm. If Absolutely. you can prepare it properly and get it out before rain, yes, it's going to be jammed it up. It loves cold packers, time to, I'll say when that. it's time to flood. If you, if you can seed it on broken ground and run a culture packer over it, it make all the difference in the world. And really, one good rain in most soils, and you're off to the races. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yep. Yeah, exactly right. So, guys, y'all check that out. The, the product that the, the, that we've built for this, and we're so proud of it, it, it it's called Guide's Choice. Yep. And it's uh, it's, it's a pr- really easy to, to, to grow. Oh, really easy. For yeah. Sure. yeah, it is. And honestly, it's if you grow, whether you flood or not, it's a great crop for all birds. Turkeys love it. Doves, oh, my goodness, you could have a great dove shoot, you know, yeah. over it. Yeah. So what we're going we're gonna to talk to uh, to Jim. Jim has kind of got a new job. Yep, and uh, with bit. new company Drake, what, what a great brand! Same job, new place. Yeah, I mean, we all love Drake products. Man, oh gosh, a, I mean, Drake loves mossy oak. I mean, there's no doubt about that. <laughs> yeah, they go together. There's peas and carrots. Yeah, that's right. Since there. the very beginning. <laughs> yep. So I also wanted to ask Jim. He's 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 from over there in Arkansas about some of these. I'm hearing about some of these. Uh, green tree reservoirs having some issues you guys are losing red oaks is my understanding and the arkansas uh, guys at uh, game and fish they're trying to figure out some issues but can you can you tell us a little bit about what's going on a little you know some of it's uh mother nature derived we've had like i don't know past 12 14 years really serious rains in the springtime so keeping water on the woods longer um and trying to manage the water way back game and fish was trying to manage on some of their wmas to have early water at the beginning of duck season and you know i've got an old book at home that talks about that didn't hurt red oaks well now we're learning it did it does, it does. Yeah. Yeah. so like hurricane lake wma don't quote me on the exact numbers here but there's something like a 700 acre loss of red oaks and hurricane lake WMA, mm-hmm. wma which is in the white river bottoms and wow. they've just done a bunch of work there they just done a bunch of restoration work in the south gtr and they're moving north. And a lot of what they did is taking out a lot of undesirables and a lot of oak trees that are in bad shape, try to let some light in and try to encourage recruitment of red oaks, naturally. Um, but all the WMAs in the state of Arkansas are going under kind of a different management structure. Uh, one of the ones that's kind of confusing to a lot of folks is Biomeda WMA. Most everybody's heard of Biomeda. Mm-hmm. So what they're changing, what they set their gates to. Now, Biomeda naturally floods. Nobody, they can't pump it. Mother Nature has to provide the water. But they're putting the boards in, per se, this year to MSL of 178.5, which full pool is like 182. Now, it can go higher than that with a big impulse of rain, 
but they're trying to keep it where there's not as much water in the woods to try to encourage them willow oaks on the edges to take off and get started. Right. So a lot of people don't understand that that's, they're thinking, well, that's all the water we're going to get. Well, not necessarily. If you get a hurricane come up in mid-November and you get a big pulse of rain, well, by me, it'll jump up super full, but it'll run back down to that 178.5 with the idea that maybe come springtime, if we could get a dry spring, we could get the water off quicker and go from there and not have water as early. You know, like Dudley would probably say, most a lot of folks want that early water. However, when's typically the drier times of the year? Yeah. Fall, mm-hmm. you know, so we've been putting water on our trees too early for too long and now it's showing yep. on the WMAs. Yep. And keeping it on too long. Yeah, keeping it on too long. We've yeah. talked about this a little bit. And yeah. yeah, Arkansas seems to have kind of been the forefront in that. You know, mm-hmm. you can Google around and, and read about uh you know, impoundments one of the key words, uh overcup oak. Uh but uh they've been studying that for a while. Yeah, and it's kinda uh, interesting, you know, and that hurts acorn production, which one of the big reasons ducks are going to them woods is to eat acorns. Absolutely. Common to some people's belief, mitre duck loves a crawl full of acorns. Mm-hmm. So we want to increase that. We want more trees, we want more red oak recruitment, because someday who, who's going to take care of that next forest? Where's that next forest going to come from? Yeah. So that is, that's important. That's when you, right. when you lose a mature oak tree, you're not going to – it's not like a crop you replant the next year. I mean, no. you've lost something for your lifetime or for a generation – or more so it's so precious i mean it's kind of the gamekeeper's philosophy about you know the call it the life of abundance but having abundant wildlife and then the harvest and the hunting part is based on what's best for the place in the long term you know great population so uh, the same thing about i think that the same philosophy about you know flooded timber and duck stuff you gotta do what's best for that forest or in its best interest you know, and hunt around that. So if it means, you know, if you can't keep doing it every year, if you're going to lose the forest, right. that's crazy. Dry, that's absolutely insane to be so caught up in like shooting, shooting, hunting that it's more important than actually preserving a tree. So I just applaud the people that are trying to adjust and learn from the past and do these things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's in the best interest of everyone, and especially duck hunting, to preserve those. So yeah, yeah. I mean. It's interesting, Dudley can tell us about – tell us what actually happens when a tree dies from being flooded because it's – I think you told me it's not that it's waterlogged or too, the too much water actually kills it. It kind of kills itself, it's right? Almost, it's almost akin to the, to the soil being dry. Right. Uh, there's, there's so much water in that – what is supposed to be like airspace in the soil right. because they've got to have that air in the soil to be able to transpire to transpire right yeah. you know like drinking out of a straw right but, mm-hmm. um hence why they can get oxygen out of moving water better than stagnant water right and hmm. uh and so overcup oak is the most what we call wet feet tolerant oak there is right. um and it's fine for like inver- invertebrates like the you know the leaves that fall and sink uh that's good but ducks don't eat the acorns right uh, they the prefer problem. those very small Red oak acorns that have the more tannins and they last longer when they're in the water. Mm-hmm. Then they, they can just eat them because they can't crack it open like a deer. They, you know, they're small enough to eat. I have seen wood ducks in Alabama before eat swamp chestnuts choked mm-hmm. on them. I can't mm-hmm. believe they wow. literally in the back of their throat was a not a giant swamp chestnut, but a pretty, you know, mm-hmm. average size. Mm-hmm. And they had actually swallowed those acorns. The, uh, they'll sure try it in bugs too. That's another thing. You want, you want to have good leaf litter in your woods too because. 
you take them warm-ups in January, they're after them bugs for protein on the flyback to kind of increase eggshells and molt for their feathers. So the more healthy your woods can be, the more healthy your ducks are going to be, yep. and you send them back in good shape, they're going to have a right. better job. We yeah. talked about yeah. that. So what was happening is deal. these people are keeping their water on so long that right. you have a species shift, and uh, you, you lose all of your red oaks. They're tolerant of flooding and wet feet, just not as tolerant. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, and I would say in a healthy impoundment, you still have overcups, but they may be in the in the deepest Deeper. pools of, of that yep. particular impoundment. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, nut all. Know, this is probably a little bit arguable, but then next is nut all, mm-hmm. then, then willow oak. Uh, uh, the further north you go, you start having pin oak, which is similar to the mm-hmm. willow oak, then water oak, probably then cherry bark, then shumard, mm-hmm. uh, in, in that order or, mm-hmm. or something. It, it's interesting. That. When I was first explained to it really well, if you take here's permanent water and buck brushes, you move up the hill, just a little bit of grade can be the difference between nut all and willow. Oh, yeah, you just know, one just, or two inches. Yeah, exactly. It takes very little. Um, or it may be where a tree fell down a long time ago and left this little hump, mm-hmm. uh, and, and a tree will thrive on that. If you're walking through the woods, you'll see you'll find like a willow oak on a mound in the bottoms. And, you know, to your point about the long-term water, not just our WMAs, some of our U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service property on Cache and White River Refuge are dealing with the same thing, and that's all natural water below the dams. So where we're at, we're all below the dams on the upper white. So there's places where... Heck, we've had water on those woods until mid-June, early July. Sure. You know, the places where they get water movement, they're better. But you get beavers, that micro-topography may plug off a ridge or something, and now you got to deaden it. Before we had a levee on the Mississippi River, you know, some of those places were holding water till. July and August every year, but mm-hmm. they were they were overcup dominant, and mm-hmm. it just depended on the elevation. You know, a lot of people think these alluvial deltas, like our ours in Mississippi, Louisiana, and Arkansas, is completely flat, and that that's far from the truth. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. traditionally there was a lot of uh, bars. You mm-hmm. know, from point from, bars, what sure. And so there was actually a lot of elevation. It it may have only been twenty feet difference right. over the whole delta. But, but uh, that makes a, a very big difference. Around um, here is pretty cool to see. There's all that stuff we have out there. So relatively flat, but it literally, you're right, could be six inches in dif- difference in elevation, and it's a completely different uh, look. And you'll sure. see a lot of the white oaks, a lot of swamp chestnuts, especially in our age, in our area. But, you know, just that little bit of dropping is going to go back to nut all and mm-hmm. overcut uh-huh. largely a little some willow depending on how wet it is. But it doesn't take much. And, uh, you know, I guess in that area, that higher ground is just a little better drained. Sure. And then before we had the levee, you know, everybody knows what a tributary is, where a wa- where another waterway comes into a- another one. Uh, back then we had what's called distributaries from where when the water would rise, right. they would go into these areas, and then they would, they would leave water standing. So we're really just trying to mimic what happened in the past. Um, and and have that ecosystem back by mm-hmm. by doing these impoundments and flooding and draining, uh, but places like our local refuge Noxabee National Wildlife Refuge, they have several green tree reservoirs, and it's my understanding they used to flood all of them every year. Right uh, now that they know about this overcup thing, uh, they're on a cycle. I think so they, they only may every, flood. I think every three years. I um, think. And uh, and so that's saving the red oaks yeah. and bringing back that 
ducky e- you know ecosystem that that's so needed. do you think that quite good question because i've got this we've started that process it's so much fun but um do you feel like as long as you you don't get caught up in like the hunting and you do it strictly for what's best for the trees if you don't flood anything until they're dormant and you have it off immediately like you know first of february that you could continue on every year or you're still you think we're gonna i find... think you probably could yeah um but you know the younger the tree is the more susceptible it is going to be to the flooding and right. uh, i mean nothing beats planting a tree in a super deep, well-drained site that oh, doesn't yeah. flood. I mean, right, anything yeah. will grow good there. Right. So you're still stunning them a little bit by right. flooding them. Yep. And so it, it's all about the duration. You know? And I guess the problem, he, he's pointed it out on the on a macro scale over there, if you have already saturated that soil for two or three months all winter long, if you get some kind of inordinate long-lived long like flood event in like that spring and push that further – they're already so stressed. Yeah, sure. Know, so, so. And then you got a lot more to go with that. You know, naturally, the soil saturated, shallow root system, and red oaks, big winds, spring storms, you got more layover. But some of that might encourage recruitment. You know, the big thing you want to keep from happening is that species composition change. You know, is it's, if you go from red oak to overcup to, to hackberry or sugarberry and maple, then, red maple, yeah, you, then you're getting away from good duck use, good turkey use, good dairy use wood. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it all adds up. we got to take care of the resource or it won't be there to take it's, care it's of it. It's fascinating. Amen. And yeah. then, you know, not everybody has multiple impoundments. No. So what you're seeing more, you know, everybody wants to flood their duck hole the full season, and I have to remind them, well, you're wanting to plant these little red oaks everywhere. Uh, a lot of people are shifting more into this better, uh, this improved design. Mm-hmm. So they're not making this perfectly flat field. They're adding these little undulations exactly. and, and ridges and pushing up these S-shaped areas. That, oh, I've you know, learned so much. And, that and then you can plant now. trees on those and, and to where they're not really flooded. Or you can plant mm-hmm. them on the edge. Or if you're clearing, you know. in my opinion, and I'd love his comment on this as a different topic and it's related to it, but what I would do so differently now, we have a big ag field we turn into a duck impoundment, and we can farm that and grow, you know, it's like grow corn and whatever. But even other places that we have, I would go back again and, like, be sure we had areas of cover. Even, you know, we were so conscious of food, food, food. Right. And I, honestly, uh, especially for the greenhead we love so much, he's, he's like he said, he's a green guy. Uh Cover is a critical component. Now they got to eat, and if you have some good hot food, they're going to be there some. But those, I've, I've learned, he can more than I do. But those mallards do not like being out on wide open water. They do not. They'll do it some, but by and large, they're going to get a bite, and they would love to eat where they got some overhead cover. And I was going to ask you too, how important would it be if you had a say, I don't know, a twenty or fifty or maybe even like a hundred acres, if someone was had had a flooded timber project. If it's all mature timber, would it help to maybe cut a little ahead of time to have some brushy spots, or you think just all mature trees is fine? No, not, you need you need age diversity in your woods. You know, if you go in really good track of woods or good duck woods, there's age diversity there, okay. and there's wider basal areas and tighter basal areas, more thickets. And you think of the reasons ducks are using the areas. They're using them to go in there for food. To, 
eat acorns, chase bugs, pair bond isolation or temporal reasons, you know, just right. for cover. So right. they're using it for all those different things. So if you give them something for all that, you're going to get more duck use. And keep the pressure to a minimum, you know, try not to run them out of there, go in, shoot them, get out. You know? I just think it just seems like some of those, especially mallards, they just don't like being exposed to be everything. And there's some kind of extra security from being in the they, timber. They, they love like, it. They like that overhead cover, you yeah. know, security, temporal yeah. cover. Uh, a lot of times you'll see them hitting cornfields. You know, people swear by corn. But a lot of times they're in cornfields just simply for the overhead cover. And that cellulose on that stalk is a good invertebrate. Mm-hmm. Food, you met lots of bugs too. out yeah. there. And also, you'll see them in the middle of a wide open flooded bean field or rice yep. field, too. You know, they'll be out there. They will. It seems like they'll want to come and go from that. They though. do. Yeah. And that's what it, people have that I've ever seen, and you know, they have the really fabulous flooded timber or, you know, cover hunting like that. That's so much fun. They have a major food source place, but it's not necessarily where they'd like to stay. But it's like, you know, especially in the Delta and Arkansas, Mississippi, those great places, they'll have standing corn and just flood, leave it, not cut it and flood it. Or, you know, it could be like a, we have the one place we developed for our little refuge thing here, and we'll have millet growing, but we'll never hunt it. But it's wide open now, mm-hmm. and they'll eat, but they don't want to go somewhere else. And then you can kill them in these small holes, have a lot better quality hunting, and not shoot over all of them. At the same time, amen on that. And they'll they'll always go back and forth like scrub shrub yes. places, you know, beaver deadens. They like to go hang out in them places too. Um, they use a variety of areas. So if you're fixing up a place or if it's a private track, if you can offer them a buffet of sorts of different habitat types and food types, you'll get more duck use on that property. Same thing we talk about with deer and diversity. turkey. Diversity. 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 Yeah. <laughs> so it's just the red oaks that this is affecting. So. Because it's more of an upland. Yeah, yeah. They, they're not as water-tottering as like mm-hmm. an overcook, you know, the other species. So you can go in places on Cache River Refuge. It used to be potlatch or part of Lower White River before they traded it to fish and wildlife. And you can see where they cut it really hard, and it's all come back in sugarberry and red maple. There's not as much of an oak component there. Now, historically, I understand working with Dr. Mickey Heitmeyer, some of those areas weren't heavily didn't lean heavily to oak anyway, but they leaned more so heavy than what we see now. Mm-hmm. Um, then you go to some of the higher ridges in Cache River, then that's where you'll find the big stands and nut alls and willow oaks and whatnot. And especially along the Biomeda Basin, that'll all be typically more nut all to willow. Yeah. Well, I'm glad somebody's paying attention to all this, and it sounds like Arkansas is maybe leading the way yeah. in educating people. And yeah. Well, they fish. have so much. In, yeah, this is such a big part of the state. Yeah, it's the and their history. Not only their, you know, it's commerce there too. I think there's more standing timber uh, flooded there than any other. Oh, this, sure. We're, yeah. we're fortunate to have the log, largest contiguous tract of bottomland hardwood left in North America in the Delta, Arkansas yeah. Delta. That's what I was talking. Uh, about. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's <laughs> you what know, you I can't put it yeah. together. Yeah. <laughs> I think the word for that is important. It's a yeah, that's very exactly important right. resource <laughs> well, for the if state. You take oh, white, gosh. the White and Cashew refuges, along with some of the state WMAs, they're considered wetlands of international importance, mm-hmm. and we're trying to make it happen. There's a lot of confusion amongst duck hunters on how to do that. You know, nobody wants to see a mature red oak get cut when that might be the best thing could happen. Right. Um, and somebody said, "Well, just let natural selection take its place," and I would be all for that. But when we built levees around everything, that, we cha- completely changed it. Yeah, now right. it's up to us to take care of that forest so our kids and grandkids have the same opportunities we've had. Yeah. Right. That's right. So, Jim, I, I'm, I'm just guessing. It's probably leaning up in, in, in some hardwood, flooded hardwoods. is probably your favorite thing. 
It's right up there pretty close. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What would be the other thing? That I don't know. That, that leaning against that same hardwood tree, nothing no more satisfying than killing a long beard turkey well, in, the, in the same well, spot. we're talking ducks. Shot, I mean, turkeys, obviously. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Uh, that's true. But, yeah, as far as duck hunting goes, standing up against a red oak tree, calling a bunch of ducks on a high blue sky in December with a good wind is right up there with the very top. Yeah. Hard to beat. It's yeah, so watching beautiful. them filter their way in. <laughs> thankfully, right. thankfully, duck season and turkey season doesn't happen at the same time. That's exactly right. Isn't that the truth? That, I mean, I can duck hunt deer hunt, but if well, I don't know how I duck hunt turkey hunt, I just don't know. So are you one of these guys that likes to let, if say there's 20 birds circling you and you're, you're, you're calling to them and they're, you're kind of controlling the hole, you're telling – and it's hard to do when you've got somebody like Lanny with you. But, <laughs> so do you like to let half the birds – uh, uh, maybe land and then you're shooting birds rising and birds dropping or yeah yeah um i, I do if it's just me that's i back in the guiding days i even lost customers because i wouldn't call the shot because i was trying to get them all but i have i have weaned myself off that if especially if you're guiding or helping folks out if you get ducks where you can shoot them shoot them and get out of there uh, take the pressure off of them mm-hmm. yeah so but from a hunting standpoint yeah it's, uh, we're going to get them all yeah. And, and I used to be really, really bad about that. Got buddies that still hate me for it. Won't duck hunt with me. <laughs> However, that being said, if you got a bunch working and you get a pair in, before go and shoot them pair and, you know, let's try to get them and leave them alone. Yeah. yeah. Get them, get them out of there. So our, our, the, the, we've got a lady that's going to join us here in a few minutes. She's from the Jack Miner Bird Banding Foundation, which is – we'll, we'll learn about that. It's a fascinating oh, story. Yes. But I wanted to ask you early on into this – those many times that you're in those hardwoods and the sunshine, do you see bands on ducks when they're dropping on, in? On occasion, you will. I, some guys are better at it than, than others. Some folks got an eye for catching the glare. Or if you watch, if you got a bunch, you're talking about ducks coming from a rice field, you'll see like a, a rice stalk hanging off the back of the leg. <laughs> Put your eyes on that one. You know, that one's wow. got a band on it. Wow. Oh, that's, that's, a, that's a pro tip right there. He's seen a lot of ducks drop in. That, that's, that's a dead giveaway right there. I would say so. And, and if you see if you see rice stalks out of both legs, better shoot that one quick. It's either a money band or a jack miner. So yeah. get with it. Wow. Uh, well, so uh, so if you're standing leaning against a tree and you see that shine and you're not saying anything to anybody, you're just keeping your eye hey, on that no, duck. No. Yeah. 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 yeah, my eye's on that duck. Pow! Get them, boys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Toxie, what about you? You've killed some bands through the oh, years. Oh, yeah. Quite a few. You, never, you, never, you ever never, seen never, one before? Never knew it ahead of time. No. Yeah. No. Yeah, what about you, Lanny? Uh, I have noticed one before and actually ended up getting it. So, luckily. Yeah. Definitely. It was a pair, pair of greenhouse. I've seen them. Him. He was probably hunting with me, and he still never told me <laughs> to this day. <laughs> you know, with Lanny, you, have you noticed you, you get a lot of ducks that have duck. one foot? Yeah, that's, no. right. that's right. What, what's up with that? Well, well, I mean, one of them's real skin up. <laughs> well, there's another one, too. If you, if you get the seam of the band lined up just right on the knuckle it'll come off and you get your thumb behind it and you get your buddies or somebody talking to the guest and blind you can be you can get that foot cleaned off pretty quick and nobody knows the difference how many bands have you killed jim oh not that terrible many he's not gonna say um, that. two three couple, four. Oh, come on more now. than that yeah no I, I really don't know i've got several i've got buddies that's got piles of them i've been with folks that we've got bands and give them away or other folks took them um I would be afraid to say how many I've seen. I want to say Neil Hayes may be the luckiest guy. I mean, he's, he's, yeah, he has. But he's taken a lot of people. He actually – Yeah, he hunts hard too. For no more bucks than we kill compared to where he hunts, he has either – or has been with a lot of people that have shot one just 
He's even got – there's one place he calls the Silver Slough. Yeah. Oh, wow. Because it's like uh, – Bobby, you killed one back in there, I think. Uh, you were – the day we were hunting with his brother-in-law, Lee. Yeah, you no, I, no, I was with y'all, but yeah, Lee – I then. didn't shoot But it was like the, four consecutive hunts they killed a man and duck out. It's just – That's a, awesome. A very small slough, actually. You know, you can A lot tell, of cover around it. Though. It is a lot of cover, yes. The, the cool things about bands, if you start paying attention to places that shoot bands consistently – and you think about DNA and long-term migrations of areas that ducks have That's, used yes. for, since mm. the dawn of time, you'll start seeing that. There are some places that will shoot more bands than others. And my opinion is those are historical little mini flyways because every little waterway is a highway, is a corridor mm-hmm. that ducks travel. So when you start shooting bands year in, year out in them same places, that's ancestral-type duck mm-hmm. holes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's where you can really take for management really makes a difference. You take an ancestral duck hole and help make it better, you really got something in. That's what we did. Thank goodness for it. I've seen grown men who grew up together as best friends oh. not speak for a month over Months. over a band. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Toxie, you, you I never made. I never saved them all. I mean, honestly, I never knew to make a big deal out of them. Yeah. So um, I can remember many years ago, Toxie. This was probably 24, 25 years ago. I went with you to Cottonwood, mm-hmm. and I, I was Will Walker. I was just so impressed with him. Oh my god! But he was telling he had uh, uh, talked about his dad killing birds with bands, and that his mother made a necklace out of them, yep. and she would wear them to the Ducks Unlimited, uh, and just a complete necklace. And I, you know what? I'm sure she was a fine lady, just just having to put up with Will. I grew Walker, up going right? to church with her, but uh, mm-hmm. I was always it's impressed glorious. with that story. With that story, mm-hmm. and I, you know, I'm picturing her, and I bet everybody just drooled at the bands around her neck uh, the, i wouldn't say everybody probably did but you know those of us that duck hunter would have but that's a pretty cool story that's like my mom making the christmas wreath out of turkey feathers it's so cool yeah yeah that that's yep. exactly right so going back to uh, will walker's mother and, and all that all those bands so years years that made later, an impression on you it, it, yeah it, it, did, it, did. it did well it did did so years later i'm duck hunting on the tom bigby river with my friend Paige todd and I killed a duck with a band. And it's debated. We have debated who killed the duck, actually. But I know I, I killed the duck. I'm sure you duck, claimed so. it. But anyway, it was a Jack Minor band, and it had a Bible verse on it. Well, I didn't know anything about Jack Minor, and I was fascinated by this. Went home and Googled it, and it's the most unbelievable story ever. So it's a great story. We're all familiar with the U.S. Fish bands uh, and and that the, the, what most people have. But there's this story about how all this got started. Toxie, I don't know if you know it or have nope. heard all of it, nope. but it is the most fascinating thing. So before I introduce Amanda, I want to just to read. It's only a paragraph, so this won't take very long, but i got to put my glasses on to read it. Of course. But this will set the stage for what we're doing. All right. So there's a guy. There, there was a guy. Jack Miner, he was born in 1865. So now transfer, think about how long So he's not going to be on the podcast. He's not going to be on the podcast. But the life of Jack Miner and his sanctuary for migratory waterfowl is one of the most inspiring stories of man and nature. From humble origins and and illiteracy, Jack Miner rose to become an outstanding champion of conservation issues and a leader in raising of public awareness of wildlife conservation. One of the most brilliant in Inventions, one of his most brilliant inventions was inscribing Bible verses on the bands he placed on Canada geese. When native hunters in the far north recovered these bands, not only did they receive 
an evangelical message, but they also gained a new respect for the Canada geese. Jack Miner was more than just a public figure. He was a sincere and honest man who applied hard work, common sense, and a deep love of nature and humanity to his everyday life. So this story that we're going to hear from and learn about is just absolutely, it, it's just fascinating is what it is. So without any further ado, I'd like to introduce Amanda Everhart. There she there is. She she's, is. Uh, she's from Canada, eh? And um, <laughs> look, this... Nothing uh, like a southern guy trying to be a... <laughs> yeah, so, okay, I'm going I'm to I'm back out of the way, but Amanda, can you... Welcome here, but can you please kind of tell us this story? Well, thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate that. And uh, yeah, so Jack, uh, he was a hunter. So he moved actually from um, Westlake, Ohio when he was young. Uh, his family moved to um, Canada over to Kingsville and they started a tile and brick factory. And with them dredging their ponds and everything like that, they decided that uh, he would start placing some geese in his ponds. And so um, that's how it kind of started the sanctuary and where we uh, got the idea to, um, to have geese and to encourage them to land on his property. Uh, from there, he had thousands of geese that would uh, come to the sanctuary and he decided that he needed to figure out where they were going. So that's where the band started. So he was one of the first people to start banding. Um, we still, to this day, band our ducks and geese as they come through the sanctuary during the migration festival or migration time. And uh, yeah, we uh, we keep up with what he was doing and his research and and checking to see where they've been um, acquired from. So most of them are going to be from hunters that will write in to us or email us to let us know that they've received one of the bands from duck miners. So, Amanda, I'm going to jump in here. As I've learned the story and I've read a few books, I was reading out of a book uh, there that Sir Peter Scott, had. that was a quote uh, talking about Jack Miner. But my understanding, back in the early, late 1800s, early 1900s, Jack Miner made a bunch of money making bricks. He was very successful. He had friends like uh, Henry Ford. and the, I mean, he, he was super successful. But at some point, he looked around and realized that he'd been – harvesting all this clay from his properties to build bricks and he started feeling bad about how the landscape looked because of of what his business had done and at that that was like a turning point in his life and he started saying i'm going to give back and he started turning those what he had mined into habitat for geese and ducks Am I right on that, Amanda? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, that was part of his story in terms of wanting to give back and create um, what he's, you know, stripped from the land and give back so that there was an, an area for them. Um, but the reason for the sanctuary itself was also um, due to a hunting accident that uh, fatally killed his brother. Mm. And from there, he he wanted to make sure that uh, he was a friend to the animals and, as opposed to always an enemy and, and killing them. So he wanted to give back to uh, the wildlife that he had um, possibly taken. So it was quite two different kind of realms of it, wanting to give back in terms of uh, depleting the land and also um, these you know, monumental uh issues that had happened or events that had happened in his life. So as I read in this, this story about him, he he started trying to figure out a way that he could band these uh, these birds and, and get back and uh, the information and he could learn where they were going. But he started, uh, you know, he just felt led to put a Bible verse on these early bands. 
and the one of the first ones that he banded it's actually it, 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 he let the bird go and he put a, a verse first peter on there and he got back a letter from somebody saying i'm sorry i killed your first pet <laughs> but he had abbreviated peter into p but that but he learned <clears throat> that people were were actually that when they got these bands, it meant something to them. Sure. And the Native Americans, uh, man, I don't mean to t- tell the whole story here, but but, <laughs> but they, let me tell the whole story. <laughs> <laughs> but, that they would kill a goose that had one of these bands. Well, they couldn't read it, so they would have to go to somebody that could read English, and then that allowed that person to witness to them. Huh. Wow. So these wow. birds were they that's referred to cool. them as flying missionaries. Yeah. Have I got that right, Amanda? Absolutely. That's that's just exactly how I tell it. <laughs> so in, in the future, feel free to point out where he's off base, too. Yeah, we, we do it all the when time. He, when he we misses that, we'll yeah. let him know really quick, so feel free to. Yes. So could you – let's go into how he learned more about banding and, and what all – uh, you know how the Fish and Wildlife Service learned from what uh, what Jack was doing. So he um, he contracted a bunch of different things to um, put these bands on himself. He would sit there at night and actually engrave them by hand with his wife sitting there wow. with um, a hammer and the actual letters. Um, to this day, we don't do it that way. We have them engraved first, and then we'll put like a specific year on them. So there's only a couple things that we uh, have to do by hand. Now we've uh, you know, sped up the process a little bit. Um, but he, tr- through trial and error, he was one that looked into a bunch of different ways to do things and to try to find the pro- appropriate material that was going to be light enough for the goose, um, but um, sturdy enough that was going to withhold um, years and years of its, you know, being on its leg. Um, and at first, he didn't actually um, have any Bible verses on them. It wasn't until he didn't see any return of the bands that he decided that he would start putting these Bible verses to encourage people to uh, write into him. Hmm, that's interesting. So our, our bands now, they still are, they come flat. We have to hand roll them. Uh, it's a pretty barbaric um, contraption that we have, but uh, we usually get our summer students to help out with that uh, task since it is a little tedious. Um, but we'll pre-roll them for when we're doing our uh, our banding, which is majority in like the September, October time. Um, put them into like a C shape so that it's just easier for us to clamp. Um, a lot of different organizations have kind of mimicked what we've uh, started and started banding their their own geese and ducks. Um, we don't typically put anything on um, a goose or a duck that would have a band on it already. So we stay away from like the federal programs or any of the American uh, states that have put them on just because we don't want to interact with their tracking system and their research that they're doing. So, so when Jack got started doing this, Jack Miner, it, it, it carried on for a long time. And then his sons, it's my understanding, c- carried on the family tradition, so to speak. And it, it, so today, how many ducks and geese on average do y'all band a year now? It's not many. We don't, we don't band as many as we used to. Um, the ducks and geese are getting smarter and not as many come to the sanctuary as we used to. Um, there's a lot of uh, irrigation ponds and cornfields for them to uh, lay rust in or golf courses. Um, so attracting them it has been a little bit of a challenge for us to have the numbers that we used to. Um, but on a, a typical year, we still get a few thousand um, bands on ducks and geese. Um, and it just depends on and what season and, and what's kind of bringing them in. If it's a certain uh, direction of wind that maybe brought in a, a huge flock that we are able to, uh, to catch ourselves. Wow. Well, we can speak from experience. It's a tough job. It's not yeah. easy. <laughs> not We've been trying. <laughs> yeah. It's not easy. Really, yeah, last year, Bobby Bobby hit it pretty hard trying to. 
Yeah. When I couldn't get out there. And it's not easy. Yeah, we built some trap. We were I trying think we've to... learned enough to take it on this year. And we're going to try again, that's for sure. Yep. So yeah. we might need some pointers. <laughs> so th- these – go ahead. I've got a question, Bobby. Yeah. Um, Dudley, do you have a question? So, Amanda, uh, I'm assuming if you're banding them in the same place, uh, they generally use uh, – I'm assuming maybe the Mississippi and Eastern flyways more commonly. Uh, I could be wrong about that, so maybe correct me. And also, do you have any stories of, of bands, uh, you know, that are that the duck may have flown to Europe or something like that, yeah. like a, a really far-fetched story where you've uh, gotten that band back? Most, most of our band recovery is going to be from our area or from Michigan. Um, so they don't usually get too far before uh, they're harvested. Um, we do have like North Carolina and Georgia, sometimes down in Florida. Um, so that's going to be our, our normal and then up into um, uh, like northern Ontario. So that's kind of the direction that they go in. Um, once in a while, we'll have one that goes over to like to Kansas, to Missouri. But it just depends on what kind of storm system has come in and maybe they got thrown off course. But nothing in Europe, unfortunately. Okay. <laughs> Maybe they don't know what the band is. <laughs> Just checking. I've I've heard some interesting stories. You know, people kill, you know, those Eurasian widgeons that end up in the United States and vice versa. So well, it sounds like Bobby's was pretty far off. You know, yeah. Mississippi. The, the, yeah. The, so when I researched it, there, there's there's a kind of some of them come to or to around Decatur, Alabama. There's mm-hmm. a kind of a wintering ground there. Mm-hmm. And On the and Tennessee and, River. That's right. And some some ducks have kind of pushed off after that and a little further did south. Did you say what species your duck was? It was a hen mallard. A hen mallard. Yep. Okay. I, I would think that they, they've done it enough like with the federal bands to start to see a little bit of phylopatry start showing up. Hence, your wintering population around Decatur, Alabama. Or I'm curious about how many birds come back to the Jack Minor Sanctuary each year that have already been banded with a Jack Minor band. Hmm. Do you see that much? So we do take a uh, record of it. So um, from what I've seen with our records um, the last couple of years, we get maybe five or six that will be in the group of those that we're banding again um, that already have one of one of our bands on them. So they're noted that uh, they were caught in whatever year it was and then um, just noted for our, our record keeping. But it's only typically about five to six um, ducks and geese that we will do repeats to. Each year. So it's a really neat story, guys. Very and neat. I would encourage yeah. you to go to Jack Miner, Google Jack Miner. And there's a lot of old videos that you can watch, black and white videos that shows, that tells the story and his friendship with Henry Ford. And it's just, it really, really is fascinating. And it's inspiring because we, mm-hmm. conservation is so important to us, Amanda. And, and, and uh, you know, Jack Miner is kind of considered the father of conservation in Canada, is my understanding. And uh, so we're inspired by what other people do to take care of wildlife and the efforts that they go to. So this story, and then tie in the Bible verses, it's just a really, really neat story. And on top of that, the most coveted waterfowl band amongst waterfowl hunters, yeah, whether absolutely. you're a duck hunter or a goose hunter, it's the unicorn. Gold standard. Yep. 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 Unicorn. It, it, it that is. part I've always known about it. It was like the ultimate, you know. Prize. Well, so, okay, listen to this. Amanda has agreed to give us a few bands that we could give away to some of our listeners. Oh, wow. But, guys, I also want to point out that one way you can support the Jack Miner Foundation is you can actually buy a band from them. with a, It's got a Bible verse on it. They've got duck bands and goose bands. And you can go, what's the website, Amanda, that the guys could go do this? 
So if you go to jackminer.ca or jackminer.com, both will bring you to our, our brand new website. Um, so we're trying to still um, encourage people to do their band recoveries through there. And there will be soon our list of, uh, of all the bands that have been recovered um, that we have records of. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. So jackminer.com or jackminer.ca. But, uh, but guys, so for the next three or four podcasts, we're going to give away a Jack Minor band, and then Amanda will send it. So that'll be a prize possession. I'll tell you what I did with mine. Yeah, I was going to ask. I, I put it on a silver necklace and gave it to my wife, and she, awesome. and she wears it. So it's only got one band. It's not awesome. like Miss Walker with a but whole. But it's still cool. But, but it, 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 it's it cool really that she'll is. wear it. Good for yeah, her. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. It really, it Go really male. Is, it's exciting. <laughs> so. uh, it, Amanda, is there anything else that we're that you need to tell that make this story make complete sense? No, I think you covered majority of it. Um, you know, we still try to uh, live by Jack's ways. Uh, things have changed a little bit on the sanctuary in terms of um, no longer do we have any family members that are presently uh, working with us, but we try to still uh, keep up every uh, good deed that he had done throughout the years. Jack passed away in 1944, so it was his family that took over from there. And now we have a great uh, board that uh, continues his legacy and is trying to revamp it and keep it fresh for people to uh, still enjoy. We own over 400 acres, so it's a pretty impressive uh, plot of land that we uh, we get to keep in and encourage birds of all kinds to uh, to visit. Yeah, it really what is. A, you know, everybody's the world's bombarded with media these days, and people like you know money, money, money for this, for that. And you know, when you do see stuff like. You know, for animal lovers of all forms. We all are animal lovers here, but Absolutely. I just would encourage people listening to choose this as a charity if you love animals because, um, you know, the history behind this and the the depth of the meaning of it is so pure and so cool from a pioneer like that. I would encourage people to, to look somewhere like this. You'll, you'll never find a lot of people like, where can I send money? I know it. most of it goes to work for the wildlife. Well, you're never going to get more than this right here. So Yeah, that's right. It, it's a great story. And look, guys, you can go to the Mossy Oak Go app. Uh, four or five years ago, we did a television show about Jack mm-hmm. Miner. And so that's on the Mossy Oak Go app, and you, you can see how they band them, how they trap them, everything. It's, it's really interesting. Richie, the producer, produced that for us. So, the producer. Uh, Amanda, you may not even been aware of that. Jethro Bodine, Hollywood <laughs> producer. That's him. Amanda, oh, I saw it. It's, it's great. You hear that, Richie? <laughs> His head swells. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was a cool experience. Getting, uh, you <laughs> Good know, job, Richie. Uh, going up there and, you know. The first thing, you know, you see all the birds out there on the property, and then, you know, it's not just, you know, geese and ducks. out. You know, there's turkeys out there, too. I'm looking at it right now. Hey, wait. Hold up just a minute. I thought that was a strutter I was saying. Well, I can tell you this, guys. You probably – the chances of you killing a bird with a jackknife. No, 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 no. We would never. We would never. Well, it's, uh, you know, it's low because they don't get to ban, but maybe three or four or five hundred a year. So, but if you want one of those bands, you could buy one, and that would help support the I mean, how many people wouldn't love to have that bragging right around their lanyard calling with their buddies and all? He didn't have to – I mean, you don't – they don't sign an agreement where they have to divulge that they bought it, do you? (laughs) Heck no. I mean, just slip it on there with your other bands. That's right. There's a lot of people got a bunch of bands on their lanyard that was done just Oh, like I'm that. sure they do. I'd say, you know what? I can't think of a better cause to contribute to to be able to brag on it. Yeah, it would. That, that would be A-OK in my book. Absolutely. Right. Well, Amanda, thank you for being on here with us. We know you're busy and got things to do, but uh, y'all keep up the good work up there. Thank you for having me. 
All right. Thanks, care. Amanda. Thanks, Amanda. Great to Thank talk you. to you. Thank you so much for what you do. Bye now. Bye. Jim, you've, you, you, lifelong Arkansas resident, you've been around. Bands mean a lot to hunters. Bands don't they? mean they, a lot. They, they cherish them. Yes, very you, much so. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, there's guys that will wear their bands to Walmart to go shopping on Friday night. I mean, mm-hmm. there's, there's, oh, I've seen them wearing them. There's too. people yeah. very serious about them. Yeah. Oh. Yes. I've hunted with several people that won't take them out until it's time to take pictures after the hunt. But yeah, it's 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 a thing. It's a thing. Do y'all remember a few years ago? Fred Zink has like as many goose bands as I mean, he's did. He, yeah, he just yes. got late. Especially from yeah. up there where he hunts near there, and they they have the opportunity to shoot quite a few band, goose yeah. bands, yes. especially yeah. in the right. park. But right. somebody stole those goose bands from him. Oh him. no! Ooh, yeah, and I, I think. They ended up maybe some of his friends and some others got together, and I think they paid like a twenty five thousand dollar reward and got those back. Wow! Uh, yeah, I think somebody ransomed them for that. I, I think wow. the, if I remember wow. the story right, uh, so, Bobby loves serious. a good conspiracy story. No doubt. There's about a novel. It. There'll be a novel in that one somewhere. The, Chapter two. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> the, Richie, <laughs> Mister <laughs> Mister Haney. Yeah. In the nineties, uh, my duck camp in Monday, Mississippi, burned to the ground one night. And, uh, oh, wow. Uh, my buddy, Tommy Gregory, who was my dad's college roommate, uh, right. was a member there. And uh, he kept his bands and duck calls on his bedpost Ooh. in his room. And so the first thing he did, you know, it wasn't about anything else after that fire. He went and dug through the ashes exactly underneath where his bed was and recovered every single one of them. Why wow. didn't it just wow. him up? Wow. That's a story. It right just there. was lucky. Or yeah, he's lucky. Didn't maybe more than luck. Yeah. Yeah, that's so, exactly right. Well, Dudley, the first duck you killed was banded, wasn't it? The first duck I ever killed was a banded you, wood duck. You no should way. You should have quit on the spot. <laughs> that's cool. Hadn't killed one since. Actually, all the old men I grew up hunting with got all of my bands. How about that? that Shame on them. Shame. No. I love them, and I probably would have done the same. Hmm. So it's it's interesting. I bet, you know, a lot of the ducks are banded further north. There's probably not a lot of banded wood ducks. I I always talk about the one. I killed a banded wood duck right here a mile from the office one time and had two wing bands and I've got a – is it Shimola? And a leg band. So it had three bands, but it was those crimped wings Mm -hmm. on both sides. Mm -hmm. And anyway, I caught it up. I'm – I may be wrong. It's either nine or 11 days. Somewhere right in there, nine days before, it was banded in Auburn, Alabama, which is not north and south, but way wet, way east of here. East yeah, here. five hours driving. Yeah. It's, it's a long way. Well, I mean, I can see why they can cover ground, though. Duck, I don't know how much. Well, we didn't ask, and you may know, how much ground can they, with a, you'll, you should know this, how much ground can they cover in a day in the winter with a cold front pushing them on down? Mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to be able to speak to exact miles, but some of the telemetry stuff we're doing now on these cell, cell tire backpacks, right. there's proof of a mountain hen leaving Saskatchewan, say, in the morning. Right. And she hit Benson Lake that evening. And Benson Lake is, is a lake just south of Stuttgart near the yeah, Biomedia about that. So, all, so cross country in a day. In a day. So speckle bellies especially, there's a bunch of telemetry stuff going on with speckle bellies right now. And some of the movements they make are – just unbelievable. They'll fly at night too, some of the time. Won't they? A lot of them will. You know, most yeah. time migrations happen at night. Um, wow! And it, that's the cool thing of these these uh, cell tire backpacks. They can kind of connect all the time, so they can tell elevation and timing, how fast they're going. That's amazing. Um, you, you can Google it, and it's 
quite amazing. <laughs> Life 360 for a duck. Yeah, yeah we should have him back on with somebody who's been doing that research because there's nothing like listening to great research. Yeah. Oh, there's some there's some really cool stuff out there with um, Dr. Doug Osborne, Paul Waite. There's some there's some there's some really good stuff. Yeah, I'll work on that. That would be interesting. Yeah, very. Yeah. So, Dudley, have you got an Ask Dudley for us today? We- I do, uh, and it's another non-traditional Ask Dudley, uh, not from a specific listener, but I I get questions all the time about. Uh, yeah, you know, just what are what are you looking at? What are you obsessing over? What are you learning from? Uh, how do I learn more? Um, and so I just wrote down a few things that I've kind of been following and, and learning from. Uh, uh, some a lot of it's like social media, but uh, one of my favorites is uh, the Southern Grasslands Initiative. Mm-hmm. It's it's some type of grassroots group, uh, and they're. Uh, trying to teach people about prairie species and grasses and wildflowers and, and how to manage for them, how to find them. Um, I'm on it. And, I'm uh, on that's it right a there. really yeah. interesting page to follow. And they'll have somebody, you know, video, uh, here's this really rare flower species we oh, found, man. and they tell you all about it and its habits. Uh, uh, there's another one called Native Habitat Project. My buddy Kyle Liebarger. He's, oh, he's doing that. that now. He's doing a lot of cool stuff. Wow. Um, Heard and it, it's just exposing folks uh, who don't necessarily know um, that there's so much diversity out there and so much to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, another one of my favorites is the International Oak Society. Oh, yeah. Um, they have a Facebook one, group. We you had can them join down them. Here. They have a, a quarterly publication that's full of full of publications right. about oaks all over the world uh so dudley hosted them i guess that was them yeah right? me and my buddy ryan russell and you that was probably host, 10 years ago when we went to some of the ago. places here but 10 or 12 years ago it was so it was so neat honestly but so funny too they were going through the woods and touring some of these trees they wanted to see some standard uh, southern species but some of these hybrids we found you know oh they're fat oh they're kind of i don't know about that and whatever and they they would literally go and then dudley would show them and then they're oh my gosh it is what they say you know it is a totten oak it's a cross and then they'd be the mom and dad with their kids that were on this vacation to view oak trees standing there taking their picture with an oak tree like they were at you know disney world disney standing world. by <laughs> mickey mouse or something it was so cool and there's they love trees so much and it would take forever to get them, as like herding cats, to get them to go to the next location. Because they would literally spend, what, 20, 30 oh, minutes. Oh, gosh. Uh, you know, and they, they uh, one of the things we have in the south is a prairie tree was Duran. If you remember, a lot of them were coming down just to see a Duran oak. And they're everywhere around here, but it's really kind of yeah, this we, vein of the country. We take them for granted. We do. But, uh, that was, was so neat to see those people that loved oak trees and, that much. And none of them were hunters. None. And, and they didn't know who Toxie was. And it, that whole dynamic was, it it was really bad. interesting. Oh, it was so see, cool to watch. See all of it go down. <laughs> um, another one, and I'm, I'm almost done, the Ozark Chinkapin Society. Uh, yep, heard of them. They've got a website. They've got a Facebook page, Instagram. Uh, we all know about the American chestnut um, and its story. This is the Ozark chinkapin. So it's a one-seeded chestnut. Uh, we know a lot about the Allegheny chinkapin. It's a shrub. This is a timber form chestnut. It's wow. one-seeded. So wow. it's, it's a chinkapin. 
it gets the blight. Um, it seems to handle it better than the American chestnut, but they're trying to bring it back. So the Ozarks used to be covered with these things, and it was a way of life for people to go and collect them every fall. Yep. And now uh, they've almost disappeared. And so they're trying to bring it back uh, just with uh, making selections. And so they'll find a tree in the woods uh, that seems to be able to handle the blight. And then they'll get the pollen from it and pollinate other other chinkapins that they found that are superior. So I recommend y'all go That's and check them out. Um, believe the guy that kind of runs it, his name is Steve Bost. But uh, check them out, support them. So, uh, so I have to say it fascinated me. To, it triggered this. Dr. Harper's talking about the fully – Explaining the five stages of successional habitat. Mm -hmm. And uh, the fourth one was mature like oak timber. Mm -hmm. That wasn't the final destination. But the species that could uh, prosper and grow in the shade and then take over, they were the tallest, was the fifth and rarely attained anymore. And it was chestnuts. Mm -hmm. As he named as there was two or three species. Dudley will remember Probably all. beaches. But, yeah, beaches and chestnuts. That's right. Beaches yeah. are still around, actually. The climax species yeah. is what they So that's that. what you'll end up with. He said typically 150 years I, or so. I heard it. I thought that was so interesting. It was fascinating. You know, you yeah. don't think that about explains it. That a lot. That's yeah. the only tree, and we're shifting to chestnuts now. Yeah, the, but the they are got it, they got the, obliterated by the this chestnut block. was yeah. the only tree that could, like, grow faster than a sycamore or a tulip poplar you know how mm -hmm. fast a tulip poplar grows. Oh, yeah. i mean they bypass the oaks well mm -hmm. those american chestnuts so in unbelievable the woods it's, were, such it's big around as this table the most majestic know. cool tree maybe even even over oaks and then we lost them all mm -hmm. pretty much and i, yeah, I applaud no, they, you know you can actually go to the chestnut foundation and buy yeah, the american chestnut foundation and they're they'll grow just like uh, American chestnut, yeah. but they're blight resistant. We need know. to do a podcast with the Ozark Chinkapin folks yes. and yeah. the American chestnut. Absolutely, folks. Yeah. we need to Shut grow some here. We're in the range. Yeah, uh, we donated oh, yeah. a bunch of tree tubes to them several years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so they're in the Ozarks, but you can also find them in pockets uh, in other places as well. Yeah, I uh, see them here. There's one near Oxford, Mississippi, on private land that they've discovered. How about so, that? I got to have one. So there you go. <laughs> anyway, no, that's, that's it. That's good. That it. That's it. That's it. Before we close this thing out, Jim, tell us about what you're doing with Drake and yeah. and oh, please, yeah. absolutely, oh, I'm yeah, excited. Cool. Thanks. Uh, so um, working with folks at Drake Waterfowl, and it's not just waterfowl, as y'all know. We're mm -hmm. you know non-typical big game turkey, old time turkey logo. Um, we're into a little bit of everything. Drake performance fishing. Uh, I get to be there. Uh, they call me the VP of development, and that, that's pretty easy for me. It's just an opportunity to go develop friendships and relationships with folks around the country, talk with some of the product development guys about things that you always can make things better. I don't care who you are or what you do. That's right. Absolutely. Every day. Um, so I get to be a part of all that and just hopefully make new friends all around the country and bring people the, the benefits of being a part of the Drake family. That's awesome. That's awesome. That they, and they could about. not get a better representative for that. No doubt. Thank you for that. That's it's just you know it just is what it is. They're they're wise to do so, and we have been a partner with them since the first year they ever started too. That's right. Uh, up and down, and just like family members, we've had our ins and outs, but we are with them stronger than ever. And they have proved over time to be a most valuable partner with Mossy Oak. So. It's a great brand. I've got yes, a wide variety yes. of great products. Oh, yeah. Casual yeah. wear. We're in the wheelhouse of. Drake's, you know, brand, 
oh, appeal yeah. and following and all right down through here. They spend an unusual amount in this part of the country, but it's bigger. It's obviously it's way bigger than just waterfowl now. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, they carry casual apparel at the golf shop. You know. Yeah, well, good for you. I'm glad, I'm glad to glad that you're back wearing bottom land. Man, I'm proud to be back wearing bottom <laughs> land. Better bottom land. That's right. You look good about that. And yep. we uh, we really hit it off at the nursery. Had a good time. Yeah, oh, that a, was that was awesome. He's a tree. He is a true tree nerd. That's what I, I, use, I was going to say. I use that t- term sparingly. It's a term of endearment, and you know, uh, you know, looking up to someone to say that. I just want to say it. Dudley's the ultimate tree nerd for us. But I would say he is definitely in the tree nerd club. Sure. Blew me away. I was expecting yes. to talk about, you know, duck calls. Absolutely. About trees and anything. Yep. So that was great. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> so, you know, that's a complimentary nerd. That's right. Yeah. Well, look, I've got a trivia question I'll I want to ask you. Uh, I've been listening to these yeah. podcasts. I've been scared <laughs> to death of this all week. Well, so this is really easy. And, and look, I think Amanda, are you still there, Amanda? Yes, you, I'm still here. Uh, okay. Okay. Well, you can join in on this. Uh, Okay, I'm going to say this. Jim, if you don't know the answer to this. I'll defer to her go immediately. To, yeah. Go to Amanda. Phone, phone she, a friend. She, she, phone a friend. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, here's the question. And oh, this boy. one kind of gets under my skin. Oh. So, this is a oh, chance oh. for us to. I, did Asif write this one, too? Asif did not write okay. this one. Okay. None of the so, so, Jack Miner loved and is forever tied to a certain species of geese. I'm not going to ask you. Everybody knows what we're talking about. but And we all love to hear the honks and the grunts of these geese. For, uh, it, but I'm going to ask you, what is the correct way to, if you see a flock of these birds, what do you, what is, is it A, there are some Canadian geese, or is it B, there are some Canada geese? That would be B, Alex, for 2,500. <laughs> exactly. That is exactly right. They are, they are Canada geese, no matter how many of them there are. That's right. Canadians are hockey players. That's right. <laughs> or Amanda working at She's a Canadian. Jack Minor Bird Sanctuary. That's right. Yeah, but that's right. So. That, that people that are really big into Canada goose hunting, that drives them crazy. It does. I've right. actually had that happen when I said Canadian, and I've got tongue lashed. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's not cool. It's not cool. I would like to see somebody tongue lash you. I don't <laughs> think I've ever seen that. Was he playing for a – did we have a guest? Yes. Oh, thank you. not even going to talk yeah, about it. No, no look, look, and I hope somebody isn't pulling the wool over my oh, eyes. Oh, no. But we got this, another name. We're playing for G-Unit. Twenty-one, twenty-one. <laughs> now I don't know what a, I don't know, I don't know what a G unit is. So. You might have to look that up in the Urban Dictionary. Yeah, you can yeah. use your little. I think this one's here. okay, but G unit, you just won. Uh, we won a, a, a subscription to the Gamekeepers magazine. For awesome. Here, so, go so, G so unit. there you go. It's the Gamekeeper unit. Yeah, that's what it was. There, what it was. Very cool. <laughs> you know, Jim, I figured you would know this one. I felt like it was an easy one, but I felt like we might educate somebody. He with didn't that even one. sweat over that. That no, was no. you got to get dig deep, deeper. <laughs> I was glad it was something like that. I thought, oh man, what these guys going to throw at me? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and look, guys, the summer issue of the Gamekeeper it's magazine out. is probably hitting mailboxes right now. So y'all keep an so eye for it. And if you don't subscribe, you ought to do it. Mm-hmm. for sure or go to tractor supply walmart bass pro and pick one up so i'll i think that's it lanny you got anything nah, else to add toxie you i know you we, now's we, the time. I apologize. Hey, now's we, the time to prepare your platter for the winter that's right folks right now you got actually in the south you've got until i always say labor day is a cut off you can still mm-hmm. take guys choice out till late august but now's the time to Start if you hadn't, and you, it, you man, uh, set the table for a winter time. You bet. I, if you think you're, if you think duck season's a long way off, you're behind. That's oh my exactly gosh, right. it'll be here before you know it. Yeah. yeah. 
Yep. Jim, it's so good to see your smiling face sitting there. Yeah, Thank absolutely. you for being there. Thank y'all for being here. This was a fun one. Yeah, it, was it, it sure was. Well, why say goodbye, Dudley. Goodbye, Dudley. Get us out of here, producer man. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Gamekeeper Podcast. And be sure to tune in again. Subscribe to Gamekeeper Farming for Wildlife magazine. And don't miss the Mossy Oak Properties Fistful of Dirt podcast with my good buddy, Ronnie Cuz Strickland. <laughs>